Hey, what's up, guys? It's Mark. Welcome back to Bench Units. I am joined by James. And James, it's an exciting time because not only have we finally got our finger out and got an actual guest for a guest episode, we've fallen back to our old tried and tested formula of just grabbing one of your teammates because they're theoretically the most at your disposal and you can bully them into it. So we are joined by maybe the first person to make me realize that people in real life actually listen to this podcast when I met this person a couple of weeks ago and it turned out they knew an awful lot about me as a person and it was flattering and quite scary. Um, Is this me? Yes, that was you. Um, Freshly selected to the German national team, which we'll get to in a little bit, and moved his haircut appointment to be here, which might be the greatest honor ever bestowed on bench units. And as a thank you, we're going to administer an on-the-record haircut right now. James, over to you. I was meant to have my I was meant to have my razor in hand so that I could buzz it in the microphone, but I forgot. Um, so all yeah. that all that crap out of the way. Lucas Glossner of Bilbao and now of the German national team. Welcome to Bench Units, man. How's it going? Thanks for the invite, guys. I really appreciate it, and yeah, I'm doing good. And you guys? Yeah, living the dream. Thanks, Lucas. It's pronounced like a double S, Glosner. It's great to have you here. So um, I really wanted to like interrupt and say Glosner, um, because that wouldn't be the first time you've had this issue, right? Sure. Um, but yeah, so we're going to start the podcast the way we start with every guest when they come on. Also, just briefly, you talking about us struggling to get guests on reminded me, uh, me and Mark last week were like, hey, Mendel, we should get uh, an episode in while we're in Belgium. And he basically was like, should we? <laughs> about what? And I was like, I don't know, about uh, Belgium, your season in Italy, the Euros, um, and us not having anything else to do. And he was like, two blue ticks <laughs> thanks <Mendo. laughs> but anyway uh lucas how did you get started in wheelchair basketball how did you come to the sport um i was uh always playing football since i was a kid and i had a motorcycle accident uh, when i was 16 years old in 2016 and that's where i got paralyzed and i had to switch my sport somehow and like the first thing you find if you search for disabled sports is wheelchair basketball i suppose and um, like after my rehabilitation um, i searched for a club near my home went to practice for a few times and yeah in the beginning it was only like getting in touch with the chair and also with the ball at the same time and yeah slowly afterwards like Maybe two years after my accident, uh, I de developed a little bit and had more fun doing it. And since then, I've uh, done a pretty nice career path or not like in career wise, but like I've uh, learned many things and I've seen a few parts of the world and I really appreciate it. Yeah, man. Did you have a did you have a moment that a lot of people have described to us over the years in the podcast where it took a bit of adjustment to be like, oh, disability sport, or were you kind of into it from the get-go? Mm, I don't have this exact moment, I think, but I had like a moment when I went to the first practice and went into, into the gym and like everything I was thinking about is like playing football inside, like in football futsal, is it called? I don't know if it's... Yeah, like five-a-side, basically, yeah, exactly. that we would call and indoor uh, football basically like i wasn't feeling too great about it uh, it was only memories about good times playing futsal five aside but uh, after a few weeks this wasn't a big problem anymore and now it's fine 
Nice. Yeah. No, it's fine. What an understatement. <laughs> Just made a national team. Yeah, no, it's fine. Yeah. Don't Can even I like ask it. what your relationship is with motorcycles now? Because one thing that's always struck me, I know a lot of people who've found wheelchair basketball post-motorcycle accident, and I know a good bunch of those people who have since then wanted to get back on a motorbike, even with the disability like to be factored in. And I just like obviously me and James are both born with our disabilities, so we've never had that kind of moment of reckoning, I guess. But do you see do you ever look at like a motorcycle and be like, oh man, I can't wait to get back on one of them? Or are you like, no, that that's me done on that? Uh I don't think I like there's not such a big love for the motorcycle for me back then. It was only a, a way to get from point A to point B. But um, was point B the hospital and then wheelchair basketball? <laughs> was point B? So I reached it. Was point B Dubai? <laughs> I um, no, and like it's not like uh, the motorcycle f***ed up my life forever. Oh my! Ah, it's fine. We'll edit it. It's okay. Sorry, man. For anyone listening to this, James, <laughs> I make one joke and you're like, ah, the boys. It's fine. We're in. Um. <laughs> so I'm not. <laughs> like a motorcycle is a bad a very bad thing for me and my brother uh, who is four years younger than me also made like a license for it uh, drove a motorcycle for two years until he was able to do his driver license for a car okay. and i i've been driving with a quad since my injury so somehow the same but not the same and yeah i don't need to drive a motorcycle but if i'm somehow able to walk and do everything normally again, I probably would try it out again. Your your brother is fearless, man, seeing his seeing his older brother have a motorcycle accident and being like, well, if he's not using it, I may as well get it. <laughs> That's not exactly the case, yeah. But I think it was harder for my mom to allow him to do the same yeah, stuff yeah. I was allowed to, but uh, it worked out good for him. For me, not so yeah. so much, but that, that's probably the most younger brother thing in the world. Being like, nah, I'm gonna be better than I'm gonna be better than him at this. Well, in his defense, it sounds like he was right. Yes, he did better than me. <laughs> yeah, but who's counting? Uh, but yeah, so back on to the wheelchair basketball. Hopefully, um, who were the early influences in your in your game in those early years? Like, who were the first people that you were learning from, and who sort of showed you the way? In my first team, uh, it was near my home. Uh, there were some players who played like, I suppose the highest was like second league or third league. So it wasn't like uh, the same like now, but uh, they gave me some tips at the beginning, like how to use the chair to get a seal or something uh, in as a one-pointer. And uh, like they were around 50 or 60 years old. So they've played some, they played plenty of years, I think. And this was like the beginning, but only like for the basics. And afterwards, when I went to Munich, um, I would, I would call or I would say Benny Benjamin Rücklin, uh, who was the assistant coach of the under twenty threes, uh, like three years ago in Germany, um, was a big influence. I think he was the coach back then, and now is the coach again in Munich, in Munich. Um, yeah, I would call him the biggest influence to my game, um, but maybe also his co-assistant. Um, in this season, uh, Florian Fischer, you might not know him, he's a 1.5, I think, who played like 20 years ago, also in the national team, and was pretty good. And <clears throat> it was like he, as a 1.5, knew more of the stuff I had to do as a one pointer than the 4.5 Benjamin Drücklin, but both of them did great, I think. 
yeah. And have you, in that sense, because your your kind of unique attribute as a 1.0 is you're very physically tall as compared to a lot of um, other low pointers. Have you seen anybody similar to you that you've kind of modeled your game after because, you know, a, a tall one pointer doesn't really come around that often. And when they do, it's somebody like Vierfanier from um, Argentina, who's obviously sat max height and has the one arm. Yeah, well, the two that come to mind for me would be, obviously, you've got Balshirovsky and you've got Frank de Jong, who are the two, like, there's your top three tall one-pointers in the world. I know which one of those I would model myself after. Villafania. <laughs> <laughs> yes, I actually did. Um, with my, my, not Villafania. <laughs> my, my first chair was uh, measured like uh, Marcin's Balshirovsky's and Benjamin Drücklin measured my uh, chair. And we were looking at uh, pictures of Marcin um, from Google Images to see how he puts his legs under his body. Because when you're tall and have long arms and everything, you also have long legs yeah. to somehow store anywhere in your chair. And this is how uh, I got seated the first time. And um, the problem with Basarovsky is uh, I only found like good video material um, from his Hamburg time. So like the end of his career. And uh, not so much from his earlier days, Zwickau and stuff like this. So I would love to watch more of him. And I tried to to do stuff like him. But um, as of now, I try to try to develop my stuff by myself and uh, like the mismatch stuff and everything and finishing up inside the zone. I somehow learned by myself and I'm doing pretty okay so far, I would say. And I, I like to be... A different one pointer, and yeah, as you mentioned, the other one pointer uh, who is tall is Frank de Jong, and I watched him also uh, like playing in Albacete a little, and now he's in Cologne. But I don't know if they yeah. use him correctly. Okay, so the the Frank de Jong Albacete year must have just exited my mind, but yeah, he was there, wasn't he? Yeah, that's my favorite thing in the world. And we're like, hey, did you remember that this guy or that guy was here or there in 2014? It's like, oh my goodness. Like, <laughs> like trying to get from player A to player B via teammates. Like, can you get there in like six different connections? But um, <laughs> yeah. At what point did you become aware of the like higher levels of wheelchair basketball? At what point did it go from something to do to, oh wait, no, there's actually pathways and there's international basketball and you can make a living doing this mm, yeah making a living out of it is probably with the step to Bilbao but uh, like getting in touch with the higher level and what is possible is probably in 2019 where I uh, was able to go to Japan with the under 23s um, because one spot was uh, open and I went there and had like a good time with my teammates uh, traveling to Japan just because I play wheelchair basketball, basketball on a decent level and like this the thing I enjoy doing and after this uh, I tried to stay in the under 23s uh, went to Italy for the uh, Europeans uh, went to Thailand went to training camp in Israel and Turkey and like traveled uh, a part of the world just by doing my sport and like like I said uh, like the making a living out of it uh, when came with the Bilbao step, um, which I which I decided last year to do. Um, like the first thing I decided was to do Erasmus. Uh, so one semester abroad. And then I tried to 
do it like in a in a city where I know that there's a good team and stuff like this. And um, now I'm lucky that Bilbao took me and took a chance on me. And I think um, both sides are happy now. Yeah, definitely. You've um you've transitioned this into our next bit of the episode where we were gonna start talking about it's because he can see the rundown. He's an absolute professional. He's making it easy <laughs> for us. He's like apologizing uh, for the edit. <laughs> yeah, so you know, Lucas, you're obviously with James in person right now. We normally have it's only me and James that can see like the bullet points on our screens. We don't normally share them with the guests. So we're normally very impressed when people are able to kind of navigate it themselves, but you get slightly less credit because you're just reading it off the screen. Um, but yeah, I mean, Bilbao is kind of a little bit of a, there's obviously been an established group of guys for a long time. Um, you know, it's not, they don't overhaul the team massively or bring in a lot of unknown players usually. Um, they tend to, you know, pick guys who've been round and about in Spain and they've watched for a year or two. So in that sense, you're a little bit of an outlier in terms of the guy they would normally go after. I guess you and Papi as well to an extent, but Papi was maybe more known internationally. So yeah. how did those kind of conversations come about, you know, was it a simple matter of getting in touch and saying, look, I'm looking for somewhere to play or did they come to you or, you know, how did that work? Um, as I mentioned earlier, I decided to do Erasmus because uh, it was in my fifth semester of uni and I saw like Instagram stories of my friends from uni that they were doing uh, Erasmus anywhere in the world and I wanted to do it. So I decided to do it in my seventh uh, semester, which was last semester. And um, then I was looking first at uh, the opportunity to go to, go to college um, for half a season or for a season. Uh, but this, this didn't work out because they were not able to give me a scholarship and I wasn't able to pay 40k for this time. So um, the next step was looking well, at... Have to pay you a lot to make that work. <laughs> <laughs> so... Um... My next step was to look at European cities um, in Italy or in Spain because I wanted to try to get a team in like one of the major leagues. And uh, then I decided to set Bilbao as my first option and I got accepted into the uni and uh, afterwards, or more like at the same time, I asked my uh, coach back then, uh, Sebastian Magenheim, you might know him, also a German national team player a few years ago. And uh, he got me in contact with Asier because uh, they somehow knew each other. I don't know how or why. And um, yeah, that's how I got the contact. And then I um, talked to Asier and I was like, uh, I'm playing under 23s. I'm not uh, famous in wheelchair basketball uh, yet, but uh, I want to go to Bilbao because I'm doing Erasmus here. And if it's possible to only practice with the team or at least get like a time to shoot in the gym and stuff like this so this was like the the start of it and um yeah it developed more uh, out of it because uh, they were able to give me an apartment and uh, also some money and uh, when i arrived here they saw how good or bad uh, i has decided uh, I, I am and since then uh, they are pretty happy i think and i'm playing with zero points so there is also a lineup for me. Yeah. Well, also, I must I must bring this up. The very first practice you had in Bilbao, what was the first thing that you did when you came into the gym? Because we were all like, who is this guy? And then you immediately 
what did you do, Lucas? You can tell everyone. Yeah, I was <laughs> I was incredibly nervous. Um and I tried to transfer into my sports chair and missed it somehow. <laughs> and then I tried to act it tried to act as a, like I'm fixing something from from uh, only possible from sitting on the floor and then I like I got back into it uh, by myself so it was fine but yeah so we ended up with one of the like better young one pointers in the world I would say but in the beginning it was like <laughs> does anyone know anything about this guy apart from he went to junior worlds oh yeah I don't know we'll see what he's about and then he falls transferring <laughs> on day one <laughs> I was like do we need a do we need to have like a crane at the side of the court like do we need yes. a hoist this guy yeah, so, uh, I, I was gonna bring this up later in the episode but I think it it fits right here but my my like first memory of watching you guys was um what was the thing that you guys did at the start of the season the, the super copper the plate yeah um was a plaque yeah. um god damn it yeah you guys played and you started the lineup Lucas with yourself and um all the fours and Manu and then I think about two minutes into the game you and Pappy got like the ball down early and you had like a two-man game and Pappy just shot the ball with about 17 seconds on the clock and then there was like ball goes out of bounds defensive resetting and Asier just had you two cornered like the two new foreign guys he was like hey no 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 this isn't how it works here. I was like oh man this these guys are out of here <laughs> like, there's, been, there's been a few of those for everyone who comes here um but yeah how familiar how familiar were you with the guys that were here in Bilbao and how they like to play because obviously as Mark said and as we now know there's a very established sort of method of how Bilbao like to play basketball like what did you know and had you crossed over with anyone except the two Spanish under 23 guys um I watched uh, pretty much of Spanish league and especially of Bilbao when Yannick was here Yannick there mm -hmm. because Heard I them. Yeah. Friend of the pod. <laughs> <laughs> because I, yeah, I think he's the best one point in the world for years now. And uh, I always try to, to see something out of this game to take for my game. And uh, that's why I was watching much of Bilbao's games. But uh, I did, I wasn't aware about the playing style, how we do it. Um, because maybe back then I wasn't like, I didn't know how the game works so good like I know now. And yeah, and I watched the streams and I played against Manu and Chiki before. And also, uh, I watched pretty many uh, games of Germany against Spain. And I always were confu was confused about how they are not able to stop us here. But now I know why. <laughs> and uh, yeah, that's that's it more or less. Yeah. Um, have you tried measuring his chair? No. Um, <laughs> what I was going to say is, was there anyone that you didn't think was amazing or you didn't think was that good that you've now been playing with Bilbao for a year and you're like, oh my God, I can't believe people don't know about this guy or... James is just setting you up to say him, by the way. <laughs> no, no, because my thing was like, I knew Papi could shoot, but oh my God, <laughs> like... Yeah, I think... You might just like, how many, how many times this season have you been like, oh, 29? <laughs> what? <Yeah. laughs> he took yeah. 12 shots. <laughs> Yeah, I would say Papi, because before I came here, I only knew him from one game, and this was where he threw Spain off, out of the Europeans. And I was like, who is this guy with blonde hair, and why is he playing so good? And <laughs> now I know that he's a pretty, pretty good shooter. I would say one of the best shooters in the game right now, and mm. one of the best offensive players in the game right now, and also 
maybe I underestimate his height. His height uh, sometimes he's bigger than you think. Yeah, and um, yeah, I would, I would like, uh, really would say James because oh uh, yeah, because <laughs> you like, thought I was like a, you thought I was a one out of ten, and you're like oh, I might give him a three right now. <laughs> the only reason you've outdone his expectations is because he never bothered to watch you before. Yeah, and because he didn't think I was very good because I'm not. <laughs> That's entirely fair. So I'm cutting you off so you don't say anything nice about me. Um, Mark, move it on. Um, so yeah, I guess big one for Bilbao, obviously. James has been there getting towards the end of his second year now, but James has been in Spain a couple of years, and James also had the built-in advantage of studying Spanish through school and university. But your, you know, German's obviously your first language, your English is pretty good. You've jumped into a team where everything is done in Spanish and the one translator you have available has a Belfast accent. So <laughs> how has this been, you know, has that been one of the biggest things to kind of get used to is having to be able to process the games and the timeouts and stuff in a language you're not familiar with? Um, Without James, uh, it wouldn't have been possible, I think, or I at least would have needed to take another language course or something because Everything in practice, everything in the game is always in Spanish. And like I tried to learn some basic Spanish. I took a course in uni and I'm still doing my Duolingo stuff for, I have a, a streak of one year already. I was I just going to ask you but... how your streak is. Congratulations. There we go. <laughs> but like uh, James is always there for me in practice and also in the game. We are already uh, always trying to sit beside each other uh, so he can help me out. And I really appreciate that. Every so often there's a funny moment where we'd be like in a circle, like as a team in a huddle and our coach or someone else would be saying something and I'll just look directly across the circle and see Lucas and be like, oh no, I'm meant to be like, I'll just be like, I should be doing something. Oh, I'm six people away from him right now and I can't cut across and translate. I just like, I have to like mouth, I'll tell you after. <laughs> that's actually what, that's part of the reason they brought you in you know Lucas was they thought it would make James pay attention in timeouts if he had to translate it for somebody else for us. <laughs> just, I think it's the opposite I think it's the opposite I'm th I think that's the only reason I'm still here I very much <laughs> hope they bring an English speaking non-Spanish speaking person next year so I still have a job because uh, if not God knows but do you think being in Bilbao has been a good situation to improve your game because um, we've spoken to a handful of people who've been here, obviously, in the podcast. And I think at one point Yannick mentioned that sometimes you feel a little boxed into your role. But how's it been for you to improve? Um, I love it. Like, from practice uh, point of view, it's incredible for me because I push like 10 minutes to the court. I go shooting every day from one to three. Um, we normally have like right now, probably only three times a week, but uh, at the start of the season, four times a week team practice. So really, really much time spending with the team and also spending alone in the gym, working on my stuff, working on my shot. So this is like very good for me. And like from the playing point of view, I like playing this uh, style of play and I like uh, being the sealer for uh, Asier or something or anybody else. And uh, the only thing is like the difference between here and other teams is that the people here know how to follow a seal <laughs> and how to get a layup out of it. And if you if you drive a seal and you're scoring every time, uh, it feels much better than you're driving a perfect seal and then you look around and nobody followed you and you're just stuck in the zone. Yeah. So, or someone uh, throws it to you as if you're a one cutting to the basket on your own. You're like, no, I promise you this was not my plan. Yes. <laughs> 
me, me and Lucas were talking about this. I think yesterday, uh, practice. There's a the thing of like, Mark, you'll understand it too, as a as a one five. That thing where you go to seal someone to the basket, and the guy who's ball handling doesn't see the person behind you and just feeds you. And you're like, I am in so much trouble right now. <laughs> like, I, I am, I am stuck. I do not want yeah. this. Thank you. It's the, it's the like, do you let the ball go out of bounds so as to make a point that you don't want it, or do you just try and like slap it behind you and hope that whoever's following you is where you expect them to be? I, I think my favorite, one of my favorite passes in the world is the like catch, just flick it over your shoulder and hope someone's there because it looks like you're like, looks like you're reading minds when you're really just like pattern recognition. Like you're like, <laughs> <laughs> do I have eyes on the back of my head, or do I just know that someone's behind me? <laughs> like, I um, there'll definitely be no video of this anymore. But it was from from one of my games in Italy, and one of the guys on the other team curled pass came to his left hand, and he went left hand tip to his right hand, dumped behind the head, and his big like made the layup. <laughs> Everyone was like, the game literally stopped for both teams to be like, "Hey, nice pass," and he was like, "It slipped out of my hand." It just went <laughs> <laughs> like I wanted to shoot this is great. But, uh, um, sure. but yeah, I mean, I think Lucas, you've um you've kind of hit the nail on the head there with your I think the bigs lineup in Bilbao kind of puts you as a low in position to succeed because theoretically you should be able to carve out space for any of the four guys around you and have it turn into a you know a shot that your team is looking for. But how do you think your own game has what element of your game do you think has improved the most kind of from start to finish of the season? Mm, I think my shot is pretty decent now because I'm working so much on it. But like from the game perspective, it's more my timing, I think, when to when I play Chema weak side, for example, um, to wait with the seal. Like we always play the seal over the the baseline defender and I have to wait until the ball is with Papi on the middle, for example. To set the seal, and I think Gemma and I doing are doing pretty good at that. Um, giving away all the trade secrets of us slash every good <laughs> team in the world for forty years. <laughs> yeah, and I also would uh, say like my defensive read reads like when I when do I need to switch? Where do I have to help, and where not? Sometimes sometimes Asier tells me it's wrong, but uh, most of the time I think I'm doing good decisions there, and. I also think my offensive uh, finishing abilities are have improved since I came here and my layups are a little bit more secure than the start of the season. Sure. Does, right. the, does the game feel slower for you now when, when you're out there on the court? Because I think like you got thrown into the fire, right? Your very first weekend with Bilbao, you played, I think, Illunion in game one. And then yeah. you had Albacete like weeks in. You had that game where Vidalid bombed you out because they were kind of ready for it and you guys weren't. Does it feel like you've kind of, are you more prepared going into the games now for what you're up against, do you think? Yeah, for sure. Um, Like I had two team practices before we went to the Supercopa and I played 30 minutes against Ilunion, so... <laughs> hey, welcome to the league. <laughs> uh, yeah. like, hey, we got, nice to we meet got this guy in apartment, he owes us 30 minutes. <laughs> it's not negotiable. Uh, yeah. It's very like, hey, nice to meet you. Would you like to play defense on the same side as me, please? What's your name? Okay, good. <laughs> yeah, that's what that was the case, more or less. But like now we played around seven months together and trained many times together. And now I know 
how we want to play offensively, how we want to defend. And yeah, I think I'm able to do this, the decisions uh, like we want to do them here. And uh, I'm feeling I'm feeling better now, but I don't think it took too much time to adapt. But now I'm feeling pretty good. Yeah, I agree. All right. Um, so we'll move on to a bit of Euro Cup because that's one of the big things that sort of is remaining for us. So we've done two rounds gone, one to come. We've got your League One finals in two weeks' time. Um, how's your first Euro Cup experience been, especially coming straight in and playing Champions Cup? Yeah, it's crazy. It was an honor for me also to have it, to have it here in Bilbao. My fam- my family came to visit and watch me play my first international club game uh, directly in the Champions Cup prelim- prelims. And yeah, we won every game. And I played more minutes than I thought because yes. David was missing. So I didn't think uh, my lineup or our lineup in this case would yeah. be playing so much. But we had to, to rescue a few times, I would say. In two yeah. games or something, we did it, man, and we did it. And, and also, we've gone from like when we come when we play league games when we were playing lineups to sixteen points and whatever we're doing. I think both of us are used to just like playing on the block, sitting still. Yeah, and then it was like, oh no, we actually have to move a bit. What's going on here? Yeah, <laughs> exactly. And yeah, I enjoyed everything of, of it, and uh, I was really happy that afterwards um, we were selected to go to Germany. I think I'm the only one who was happy to go to Germany, but that's great. <laughs> Yeah, and um, in the Bulls game, um, we almost were able to take them one off, take one of uh, one off of them. But yeah, it wasn't enough in the end. But the nice thing was, uh, like a group of friend of mine came to Erfurt to Elksleben, and like they were really loud, and <laughs> it was it was great to have them as our fans, as, as the more northern kings, as we called them back then, yeah. and yeah. All in all, a nice experience, and I'm I'm looking forward to Cantu also because I think we should be or might be able to win it. Yeah, yeah. I would think. Yeah. So. Also, I had this thought: like, as far as wheelchair basketball teams with a good fan base goes, we've gone our yearly schedule this year has gone Bilbao, Turingen, Cantu. There are other really good fan bases in European wheelchair basketball, but that is not a bad run of crowds to play get to play in. Um, especially one of them being a home uh, tournament. Like that's a, I don't know how many teams have had as good a run in terms of big groups of people to play in front of over the years. Yeah, I hadn't thought of that, but that's a great point. And also, Lu- Lucas, you must have some very dedicated friends because you can't give many people a good enough reason to go to effort of all <laughs> places. Uh, but yeah, I mean... I guess Euro Cup is obviously it was your your first time out um, for this one, and I always think when you get to Euro Cup for like your first time or one of your early ones, you realize there's clubs all over Europe and players all over Europe that you've never heard of, and then you're like, "Hang on, I'm in a close game with these guys. I have no idea who they even are." Did you have like that kind of shock factor against anybody? Yeah, it's crazy. Like. Like all of it, like I started uh, the first game as we had we had a few times already against Ilunion, played 30 minutes against them, against, yeah. uh, for example, Terry, or later on I played against Phil uh, in Albacete and Greg also in Ilunion. And I remember from the World Championships in 2018, I didn't know anything about basketball and I didn't know these guys back then, but my good friend Basti Kolb, uh, who also plays in Vigo, um, 
uh, was there with me back then and wanted to take some pictures. And so him and me uh, took pictures with Terry, Phil, oh, right. and... Um, I didn't know that. That's cute. And Greg, Greg yeah. And uh, a few years later, I was playing against them on the highest level, um, against Ilunion also on Champions Cup level. And against uh, Thuringia, I played against uh, Alex Haluski, who I might share the court with this year. So it's incredible, still incredible. And I, I'm I'm still processing it, I think. Yeah, I think one of the crazy things about Champions Cup qualifying rounds, especially as you go from playing one game a week to like, we played a game at 11 a.m. And it was like, all right, guys, see you at 4.30. Like, <laughs> you come off like scraping through a really tough game. And then you're like, all right. I'm going to go home and eat lunch and then come back. I will see you in four hours, which is yeah. just a completely different demand. But you kind of mentioned this earlier, but how, how do we feel about the finals? Your League One finals? Um, I think we should be able to win it. Uh, in our group, I would say Cantu is our biggest competitor, but I'm positive we can win it. And in the other group, uh, all the... Other favorites are, in my opinion, like uh, Galatasaray is for sure one of the favorites. But the good thing is we beat them like with 25 or 30 when they were here. So we could be able to do it again. We, I hope we are able to do it again. And what I'm more concerned about is Lecanet or Santa Stefano. Um, because we saw Lecanet, we only beat with two points. So it's yeah, going to be they're gonna game. be out. They're going to be out to get you guys. <laughs> you better watch out for them. Yeah, yeah. sure. I have the same thought about Santo Stefano watching Bedzetti and Gioretti uh, in Belgium last week. I was like, oh, no, <laughs> this is on a rubber floor. <laughs> oh, no. Because I think the Lecanet, like, one low, everyone else pretty similar height and very quick. I was like, well, this is a this is a bad combo. But, yeah, we have the probably the easier group, but the tougher crossovers then, which is tough. But, yeah. Do you have a favorite game or moment or matchup um i know you talked about sort of playing against a couple of guys that you grew up watching and getting pictures of at tournaments and stuff but is there one matchup or game that sticks out mm, i would say the game against vigo because i played against basti and like i played with basti in munich i played with basti in the under 23 in the under 19s and also in like the Bavarian team back then and we made the move to Spain at the same time and he's a good friend of mine and uh, this was a great matchup to play against him to win against him and uh, <laughs> so from my old team uh, five guys came uh, as a surprise and were on the were watching the game without us knowing so it was a great weekend and a great matchup against Basti and we we went out for the night after and I really enjoyed this He's had had himself a great season as well, man. It's been been a good um been a good year for you, couple of German guys coming over and establishing yourselves in Spain. Sure, yeah. right. And speaking talking of, about yeah, speaking about Basti and you both doing well, should we get on to your international career? Let's do it. Should we address the elephant in the room? No, let's not. We'll get to that. So, <laughs> what was your first international basketball experience? I think you've already mentioned it, but going to Japan, right? Yeah, right. Cool. In 2019. Cool. And where was that? Was that to Kitakyushu? Yeah, or... exactly. Yeah. Ah, cool. Nice place. So, I mean, the the most recent one, you, you've touched on it already. Um, but I think the first time I saw you play, Lucas, was the under-23 Worlds that was last year. Um, 
you guys finished fourth um, after we had Pincho Ortega on here and he predicted a, a Spain-Germany final. I think we got that for the bronze medal game. Um, <laughs> but looking back at the tournament now, you've got a little bit of separation from it. Do you look at the kind of final standings, which were uh, Japan, Turkey, Spain, Germany in the final four? Do you look at that and think that shook out about right? Or do you look at those games and be like, man, we were better than fourth in that tournament? Um, I think I agree with Pincho on this one because our semifinal was against Turkey and we, I don't know how many points we lost in the end, but um, there was one guy, um, Mahmoud Achikus, or I don't know if I pronounce his name right. Um, we're, we're infamous for getting Turkish pronunciations wrong on this podcast, so I wouldn't worry about it. Yeah, and he played in the middle and uh, we defended Uniting pretty well, I would say. And we had a game plan with uh, Basti going on his left, right hand, uh, but Basti had three falls in the first quarter, so I had to play his role. Goddamn, Basti. Yeah. Oh, man. <laughs> and uh, we did pretty well. So, Gunaidin was out of the game. Uh, Aksoy was dangerous to this uh, up until this uh, game also, but we, we managed to keep him on like six points or something. And the only problem was that uh, Achigus was uh, was hitting heavy contested uh, match. Um, mismatches on the middle on the free throw line against Tobias Hell and he shot like 70% and like it there the shots weren't that easy and uh, he was also defended pretty well but he killed us and in the final he didn't do anything I would say like not in a negative negative way but he was playing under this level and I think if he's not having the best day of his life or of this uh, tournament we are going through and if we are meeting Japan, I think we will win it because we had a training match against them and we won it easily, I would say. But I don't know if they could have done more or not. Um, if we would have met uh, Spain in the final again, if they would have beaten uh, Japan, they probably will win against us, I have to say. But uh, the final should have been Spain-Germany, I, I think so. Sure. Fair enough. You. You've um you've obviously given that a lot of thought. I feel like <laughs> me asking you that question isn't the first time you've played that scenario over in your head, right? But um, yeah. I mean, the next question we've got here was: Did do you think anything separated the medal-winning teams from Germany? But I think it sounds like it was an an on the day. Uh, I have to admit, I don't remember the game in question because I think I watched all those games as they were happening live, and then they all kind of blend into one um after a little while but yeah i mean it's kind of the story of most turkish appearances in like junior world championships is they've just got enough big guys who they can rely on the fact one of them will have a hot shooting day you know in, in basically any given game yeah. um but i think the thing that we kind of noticed off the back of that when you look at the team list you guys took to thailand versus the team list that's now come out um, going into the senior squad, go to Dubai. There's very much kind of a youth movement in the German national team at the moment. So out of those 12 who went to uh, Thailand with the juniors, you've got four guys making the senior squad and three more making the reserves for the senior squad this time. So was there any sense when you had that group of juniors together, did you ever have the feeling that you're kind of right on the edge of you know, we're all going to make the jump into the senior team about the same time? Or do you think it's just been a case of 
kind of a couple of guys. Like I think Alex Bud was already in it, maybe, and then a couple more follow through, and then you've got a couple more guys right on the edge. Did it ever feel like you're all about to break through, or has it happened quite organically? Um, I would uh, point out that we really enjoyed the time of as a team. Like we had one big group of players in Thailand, and uh, the under under twenty three time was a good time for me. And Alex Bude and Tobias Hell uh, already were in the team last year. And uh, back then, Thomas Raya was also uh, selected to go to Australia before the before they had a COVID outbreak, I think. Mm-hmm. And um, yeah, now Basti and me, we we played another season at the highest possible level in the Spanish league. So we developed a little bit more, I would say, and uh, were able to make the team. But also, I would like to point out Julian Lammering from Münsterland. He slightly missed the first team, but I think he will be there in like maybe also for uh, Rotterdam. I don't know because he's he's really good um, yeah. and he's also very young. He's 18 or 19 still. Wow. And he's crazy good, I think. And yeah, it, it wasn't like uh, we didn't think we will make the team all at once and we are going to overtake now. But we like I'm looking forward to have more of my under-23 squad uh, in the A-national team. So this might happen over the next years. Yeah. Why do you think there's such a strong youth movement in the German national team? Like, is there something, is there like something happening for player development in Germany that we don't know about? Like, is there... It's um. It's that sounds like we're suspicious, but like, (laughs) is there like what, what's going on that you think is leading to so many good players? Coach Zeltinger coming to um, observe the practices out in Spain, isn't it? That's the the real secret. And to get Asia's chair measured in Bilbao training. I don't know if there is a secret behind the youth movement. Um, I think, speaking for Basti and me, it's just like we we have fun doing the sport and we are motivated to get better in the sport. And I guess it's the same for Julian Lammering and also his brother, Maxi and all the other guys uh, who are pushing the first team now. Um, I think there's good work in all the clubs in uh, Germany uh, from from the start on to like the bigger level or higher level. And uh, they try to teach everybody the basics, but are also able to support everybody going higher. And like, for example, my old club absolutely supported me uh, going to Bilbao and um, they are very proud of me, I think. And um yeah they they uh, taught me taught me everything i know today and yeah but i don't think there's a secret or something special it's just like there are some guys who are good enough and with with talent and with the right motivation to get better sure yeah i think i think the um the thing i find most interesting about it all is obviously you look at the german league and you've got kind of the two powerhouse clubs in Landil and um, Thuringen and yet all of the junior development that we're talking about has come from the smaller clubs um, I think is really interesting because obviously the two the two big guns can you know buy in and hire in the players that they want they haven't necessarily had to put the time into player development and I think we're kind of seeing now that the smaller clubs the only way that they're ever gonna be able to keep up is to you know get these players in young and develop them as much as they can and try and keep them there and if i was feeling cynical i would say that we would get the same situation where 
Rhinos put all the work into uh, developing Matthias Guntner and then Landil said, yeah, thanks, we'll, we'll have him now. But um, That happens in every sport, though, I guess. There are yeah. clubs that just can't compete and yeah. I guess good clubs as well with good yeah. people won't stop anyone going to club, bigger yeah. clubs yeah, and fulfilling their dreams. Yeah, I, I, think it, I think that's kind of what we're seeing in Germany is, I mean, there's a couple of the guys we mentioned being from Cologne, obviously, you and... Basti being for a relatively small club in um, Munich, and then kind of uh, Julian Lammering being one of the big reasons that Munsterland have taken a bit of a step up this year. So I think really, maybe you say there's no secret. I think maybe really the secret is have two teams at the top of the league that nobody can hope to contend with, and they just put all their effort into player development <laughs> might be the best thing for the national team, which is a little bit bleak. But um, that's just right. a theory. Yeah, that's a weird one because I don't think it helps club basketball in any way, but it, it might actually have a pretty good knock-on effect. But yeah. you mentioned Julian Lammering there. Um, both him and Thomas Ryer have written in and asked what you think of the next generation of the German under-23s. <laughs> You'll be educating us here because we have no idea. Um, The next generation of the under-23, right? Yeah. Okay. Um. I, I mean, know. that's what we asked you. You can talk about whatever you want. No, sure. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, um, the next generation, Julian is still playing in the under-23s until another World Championships, uh, what's still crazy for me. Because wow. he was one of the main players already this time. Also, his brother is there. He's doing a good development. Um, I would point out uh, Søren Seewald. He's uh, another one-pointer. Um, he's also doing a great job, in my opinion. And... Um, one more guy is Dominic Langer. He's uh, playing in Munich uh, since this season, and I will try to teach him a little bit more when I go back there. And um, I don't know too much about the other guys, and I suppose they are all rightfully there, and they will all go their path and or or, or their way. But I don't know if it's the same like last year because we had like a team of good, maybe maybe good uh, eight good players uh, in a in the rotation. And I don't know uh, how much power they already have, but they have uh, more years to develop and there's no European championships this year. I think maybe next year and um, I will see like how they perform there. Sure. And um, let's see how the young guys uh, do their job. I don't know yeah. too, many, too many of them. Sure. You're mentioning uh, Julian Lammering having another World Championships left just kind of brought me back to being in the juniors and being like, hey, isn't it mad that Greg Warburton has 17 Europeans left before he's too old? Like, like, isn't it mad that he has another eight world championships because he's only whatever age? Yeah. But um, we're gonna we're gonna get into our joke now about how all the Iranian juniors seem to play until they're at 35. But um, um yeah. But should we it's... move on to um talking talking about aging out of the under 23s? Bad bad segue. Um, so we'll move on to the selection camp you just had over Easter. Um, did you have any expectations going into the camp or did you just want to show up and give your best and let things happen? Mm, I uh, didn't have any great expectations. I wanted to give my best and show them that I'm uh, one of the better one-pointers and I'm good enough to make the team. And uh, as Mark already mentioned, uh, Nikolai Zeltinger visited me and Basti here in Spain uh, for our like for three days in Bilbao, three days in Vigo, 
and he wanted to see like where I'm practicing. Uh, we worked out individually uh, together. He watched one of our team practices. So I was like positive and I thought, why would he do it if he didn't think that I'm pretty good? And imagine if he just left mid practice, he was like, nah, this guy's terrible. <laughs> uh, I'm so sorry, you were in the middle of something. I can't help myself. This is what happens. This is why we need strangers on the podcast because I don't want to interrupt people I don't like. <laughs> um, <sighs> sorry, yeah. Then, then I went to the selection camp, uh, I played pretty good i would say or yeah i would say i was good i think everyone else would probably i think at least nikolai zeltinger would say that too according yes, to the list. <laughs> and uh, i was able to show a little bit of the stuff um of my like of the unique one pointer stuff with the inside finish with the with my height height and everything and um i think they were uh they were fine with my with my thing uh, the things i've done fair enough um and coming in as one of the newer guys uh what's it like to just get straight into playing with guys that i'm sure you've grown up watching and maybe idolizing maybe not i don't know yeah um i had this earlier uh talking about haluski and also jens in turingen playing against them in champions cup and now i'm sharing the court with them it's great and uh talking about haluski he's also a great teammate um in all of my camps I spent with the national team and also in this camp, uh, he was always positive, trying to tell me to, yeah, if, if, I done, if I've done a good job or not and trying to improve and giving me uh, constructive tips. And I really like that. But also the other guys like Jan Haller, the captain, and also Chris Huber, um, who is a competitor in some case because he's a one-pointer as well. Uh, they were all like positive and uh, telling me that I that I have de- developed uh, pretty good and yeah I really enjoyed that. Sure. And talking about Chris Huber, he's written in to ask, what do you think your rookie initiation will be? Um, <laughs> do you guys have any standard stuff or no? Um, we had uh, we had a rookie thing uh, with the under twenty threes. And they shaved off the half of my head oh, and the no. half of my beard back then. And oh no! I didn't look too good with it, and I hope my my hair will be fine with the absolute team. But yeah, I don't think I'm able to choose what they what they tell me to do. Yeah, so. at least if they shave your head, like you're gonna be you're gonna be playing in 48 degrees like <laughs> weather, so you'll probably be glad of the haircut. But yes. um, yeah. I'm going to burn my my head then. Oh, that's a good point. Yeah, <laughs> buy a hat, please. Um, yeah, and we had an anonymous question that said, "Would you have made the team if you stayed in Germany this season?" Mm, depends on where I'm playing. Uh, if I stayed in Munich playing second league, I don't think I will. I would have made the team. But <clears throat> in another team playing first division, probably I would say so. Uh, I would. I should have been able to do a similar development. But <clears throat> training here, having the opportunity to go shooting every day, going lifting every day, having team practice with like a few of the best players in Europe, um, surely uh, it helped me for sure. But you're saying you did a lot of stuff every day that I know for a fact James doesn't do. Are you just working much harder than him? That's true. Also, <laughs> he said he lifted every day, and that's not true. Yeah, that's um, true. <laughs> you probably shouldn't lift every day. Um, I don't know if that's true, but. No. Yeah. Also, yeah, we need to like 
kick Lucas out of the gym every so often. Um, yeah. we, we we didn't really touch on this, Lucas, when you mentioned about going to Bilbao, but you mentioned it just there when you said if you'd have gone to the German first league. Were there any opportunities there for you? Were you really looking at anything like that? Did you have any clubs approach you from any of the top um, division in Germany or was it kind of sight set on Spain and Italy and that's where you were going? Um, it was already said uh, that I'm going to Bilbao in any case uh, with okay. all training or with training because I uh, committed to do the Erasmus stuff. And I also didn't have any offers from any uh, first division team. Um, but they uh, sorry, I said, look what they missed out on. Yeah, maybe. And crucially, Erasmus gives you a sweet, sweet grant, if I remember correctly, <laughs> from doing it when I was younger. So there's your offer. <laughs> um, the opportunity would have been to go to Frankfurt because they're the uh, like the nearest team to my uh, hometown, and right. uh, they're also not like paying players, so. I could have asked them if I can go there and play with them. And I think they would have been positive about it. And also like Kate Lang uh, played there and she played in Munich before. And also Kim Robbins was with me in Munich and then went to Frankfurt to play first division. So this is like the thing. If Munich is in the second division, you have to go to Frankfurt. (laughs) Yeah. (laughs) All right. Um, So... Just talking about Dubai more specifically, what are Germany's expectations going into the tournament? Have you guys spoken about it? Or if not, in your own mind, what do you think you can do? Um, We didn't talk about it specifically yet or like not in a bigger way. Um, I think I think uh, this year is uh, a good opportunity to try to aim for a medal or yeah, I think so because also with Japan out and no Turkey, if I'm right, um, no Spain also. Yeah, uh, there are le- less competitors for sure. Um, still, there are teams like GB, um, also Australia. I think um, there are still many teams to beat to get to this uh, goal. Uh, but I think it could be possible having Tommy Böhme and Alex Alduski still in their prime should uh, should uh, make us the path uh, to go there. And I hope so. And I try to contribute as much as I can. Absolutely. Um, and obviously, having seen some of the friendly stuff over the last couple of um, days, even in Belgium, do you think you can match up having seen some of that stuff? Yes. Because it, yeah, so. there you go. And it also won't be on a rubber floor, which will be nice. Yeah. <laughs> um, do you want to try and predict the medals for Worlds or is that not something you want to get involved in? Because I certainly wouldn't want to try. Mm, I don't, I can't tell you the order of it, but I think GB is one of the favorites to win it. Uh, who is there also? Who is one of the favorites? Australia might be a favorite. Australia are up there, USA are up there. Uh, USA for sure with the with the guys coming back. Yeah. I think... I don't see you guys being too far away either. Yeah. Like Germany have always kind of had the talent to, yes. to do it and just Kind kind of haven't put it together recently, but yes. especially with Spain being gone. Um, yes, we we uh, lost against Spain in Rio and in Tokyo, and now no Spain. So maybe we are getting uh, getting a little bit further. But I think USA, GB, Australia, and us uh, yeah. could be the favorites to win it. And if we've left anyone else out, it's because we've forgotten, yeah, not because exactly. we're disrespecting anyone. And you shouldn't care. But if you do, it was an accident. 
You could uh, um, could argue that forgetting someone as a metal contender is a tad disrespectful. No, but... also, um, if you happen to think I'm wrong and you're right, all right, yeah, you're right, you can have it. Uh, <laughs> cool. All right, so we'll move on to questions, Mark. Let's do it. So we so... put out an Instagram uh, for listener questions. We said, if anyone has any questions for Lucas, please let us know. And Jan Heller just wrote in and said, nice. So there you go. Um <laughs> Next question is from, I just, we really wanted to read that as if it were a question because it made both of us laugh a lot. Um, thanks, Jan. Um, Mendel asked, what's the worst or best pun James has told you? You've spent way too much time with me for this to be a thing that you can remember, but. There have been many things. Um, <laughs> if not a pun, do you now know any like Northern Irish phrases that you didn't know beforehand? No, but I, I learned something about a good Guinness beer. Yeah, there you go. You've learned plenty about Guinness. Um, plenty of plenty about Guinness. All right, cool. Um, so so many of these up, questions are from Mandel and Julian Lammering. I love it. Next up from Mandel says, "What's something that James has taught you on court?" Guinness. <laughs> um. Yeah, probably everything uh, any coach or Asier or everybody has told in the practice at any point because he is always translating. <laughs> so second hand, technically James uh, taught me everything. But... I love it. Yeah. What a great way to get around this. I respect the hell out of that. <laughs> is he is he trying to tell you that he's thought of this himself? Is he like, no, no, that's not what they said. I've just got a better idea. I told the guys recently, every so often we'll be game planning and we'll be arguing about something and they'll be like, why aren't you translating? And I have to turn to them and be like, until you figure out what we're doing, I'm not gonna I'm not gonna be like, this guy says this, this guy disagrees yes. and called this guy an idiot. And this guy said no, because X. I'm like, I'll I'll wait till we get there and then I'll tell him where we are. I'm not gonna tell him where we're going. Like I think we found out how to do it pretty good. Yeah, we've we figured it out. Um, okay, so both Thomas Ryer and Julian Lammering have asked, what are your thoughts on Peter Richards? Um, have I for, said for, that right? Yeah, Richard. Okay, cool. Yeah, yeah German, what you said. Um, for context, he's the head coach of the under-23s in Germany. Yeah, I googled um, him. <laughs> um, what are my thoughts on him? Like, he was my coach for two years uh, with the under-23s and um, he gave me the chance to visit uh, all the stuff I visited and to play in the Worlds, play in the Europeans. Um, yeah, I don't think... I like. I'm, I'm going to be honest, I don't think he's the best coach I ever had, but he's also not like completely wrong or something like this uh, because they're implying that I'm thinking negative about him um, <laughs> do you want, did you want us to not i didn't know this was i wondered if this was a joke or not like do you want us to not no, keep this fine. in or is it fine he cool. won't he won't listen anyway and uh I'm, <laughs> hey, <laughs> hey he might do <laughs> probably um i appreciate that he took me to the uh championships and uh the things he taught me but yeah i think we're good like he him and me are fine with like everything and there's nothing yeah. bigger behind the question of you then and Thomas. Yeah, of course. Like I think that's the thing as well. Like anyone that's given you opportunities along the way deserves exactly some sort of either thanks or credit or something. Yeah. Like you don't get anywhere without the opportunities. Um sure. Julian Lammering has also asked who's your best roommate? That's also because of our uh, time in the under 23 because we spent two weeks in Thailand in the same room. And yeah. 
Yeah, I, I really like this time. Like, it's not only like banter or laughing and jokes. It's also we had some serious conversations about how our lives should go and uh, how the plans are. And I liked it. And I also want to point out Alex Bude, uh, who I also spent uh, a few days in the same room and who is a really great guy also. Julian as well, but everybody out of the under 23, shout out. I'll, yeah. I'll tell you a secret. This question wasn't actually from Julian Lammering. It was from James, and he was hoping that you'd say it was him. Uh, <laughs> it wasn't. <laughs> ah, no. Um, um, okay, Lucas, we always close on a couple of questions that are mainly for our own amusement. So one of the stark ones we go with is, what's the weirdest thing you've ever seen happen on a basketball court? Um, there was this guy in our Champions Cup. <laughs> oh, yeah. Who was driving like the electric scooter wheelchair. I don't know how to describe it. Yeah, like electric wheelchair, things. basically. Like a, mobi- like a mobility scooter, we would yeah, probably call it. Like, exactly. Yeah. And the game was going on and uh, something fell off a chair. I don't know what it was. Someone was missing a screw, I think. Yeah. And he saw it on the other side of the court, didn't he? And he drove onto it while the game was going with his what? electric scooter. And yeah, did this not go up was... the stream? It was us against Oldham on the last day. There were 200 people watching the game, God knows how many online. And the referee stops the game, someone looking for a screw, and they can't find it. So they play on. He's at the halfway line, sees it on the other side of the floor, and mid game, just <laughs> cuts across the court to get it. I, I, I turned to ask here mid-gate like while this was happening and I was like this sport is terrible <laughs> I definitely if that was on the last day of EuroCup I definitely like watched too many games by that point and I was probably just I must have thought I was hallucinating that or I probably didn't watch the entirety of you guys versus Oldham because obvious reasons but yeah, yeah sure. I'll, I'll be I'll be digging up the video on that one because you've got me intrigued yeah, that was chaos. I'd be so interested to see because I think it's not like people were in transition. I think it was like people were playing five on five in the half court and he got across the halfway line. So maybe it's not on camera. But all right. Our final question is, if you were in charge of the IWBF for a day, what rule change would you make to the game of wheelchair basketball? It can be a serious one or you can make it stupid. Oh. Mm. I don't have a serious one, I think. And like, what could be a good... Ah, I, I would love to see a game of only one-pointers or one-point-fives. Nice. <laughs> I love it. Do you still um, get to play up to 14? Or do you have to play to like <laughs> seven and a half? Five players. <laughs> I think our Hall of Fame answers are um, if you have like a toilet-related accident on court, it's an automatic technical. Or... Um, the other one is 14 points on court, but unlimited amount of players. You're going to have 14 ones if you want. <laughs> I, I can't remember whose suggestion it was, but I was quite fond of an alley-oop in wheelchair basketball automatically wins the game. I thought that was pretty good. <laughs> <laughs> but like, if you can spend the whole game just bleeding points, but trying to figure out how to throw a one-pointer <laughs> into the air. <laughs> right, just so... Five. Just getting five-second I... violations on the inbound, but being like, hold on, we've nearly got it. We've We've put this together, engineering at its finest. So, Lucas, when you launch your um, one-pointers-only league, are you going to stylize it like FIBA, and is it going to be like 1x, 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 1? Um, I don't know. I didn't think too much about it yet. I just <laughs> wanted 
Like it's a nice thought because I would be one of the biggest guys there. So I'm the you just want to post people. <laughs> yeah, up. exactly. That's what this is once a week in training. Uh, Lucas posts me up, and every time as he like squares up, and I can see in his eyes that the bottle's coming. I'm like, don't you dare! Lucas is going to play it up. He's going to start this league and feel like he's Lee Manning, and then Belcharovsky is going to dust himself off and come out of retirement. <laughs> it's going to be like, oh, here we go, flash of the Titans, hustle against Lee. Yeah, Godzilla, <laughs> Godzilla, and flipping. Um, I've completely blanked. I was gonna say Godzilla and King Kong. Yeah, just King Kong, racking the place in a one point. Just like, all right, that's us done. Thank you yeah. very much for your time, Lucas. Thanks for the invite. Uh, I I love it. No problem. Man. What one thing we need to check with you before you get out of here is you're about as close to a guaranteed listen of this podcast as, as anyone we know. You seem to listen to every episode on the day it comes out, so we're relying on you to listen back to your own episode to keep our numbers high, okay? Sure, I will. <laughs> cool. Alright. Right. Um, thanks very right. much. We'll get out of here. Thank you very much for listening, everyone, and yeah, we'll be back early next week. Peace.